Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Julie Kuzmik. Julie is Director of Consumer Advocacy at Equifax Canada and a recognized authority on consumer credit. She often speaks to industry groups, government, clients, and consumers to shed light on the credit lifecycle. She is passionate about financial literacy and is always testing out new metaphors to describe the nuances of credit scores. In my interview with Julie, we discuss how credit scores are calculated, why there are multiple credit scores, and how credit scores are affected by shopping for a mortgage. Without further ado, here's my interview with Julie Kuzmik. Hi, Julie. How are you doing today? Really well. Good to hear from you. Yeah, great chatting. Credit is a topic that a lot of Canadians know that they should have a good credit score, but they just don't understand what exactly goes into getting that good credit score. So excited to chat with you today and help demystify credit and credit scores and help Canadians just get a better overall understanding of it in the context of buying a property and getting a mortgage. Fantastic. Let's do it. Great. So first question, what is the point of credit bureaus? Yeah, that's a really good place to start. So quick reminder, there are two major credit bureaus in Canada, Equifax and TransUnion. And both credit bureaus are basically collecting information from banks and lenders, credit card companies, um, places where people have accounts, uh, cell phone accounts as well, on typically a monthly basis. The information about that account is getting reported to the credit bureaus. And the reason that this even happens is to give people an even playing field when it comes to applying for a loan. So if you think about way back in the day, before there were credit bureaus, if somebody was looking to borrow money, they would typically go into their local bank and talk to the bank manager. And if the bank manager knew them or knew their family, they probably had a better chance of being approved for a loan. But that's not fair for people who might be new to the community. So the idea of credit scores and credit bureaus came into being where You could have the same information about people across the country and you could provide a mechanism for assessing the risk or the credit worthiness of people in a standard way, standardized across all people. So that's the point of a credit bureau and that's the idea behind credit files and then credit scores. That's great. And I guess it's evolved over the years. And I'm just curious, how long has credit bureaus and credit scores been around for? 
Well, it's a great question. Actually, Equifax in Canada celebrated our 100th birthday last year in 2019. So the first Equifax office in Canada opened in 1919. Of course, it did not look like what it looks like today. That would have been back when credit files were in like file folders and it was all paper-based and a very different world from the one we're in today. Interesting. Well, switching gears for a moment, what information is on a credit file and also how often is it updated? Okay, so the information on a credit file, and and we tend to use a few terms interchangeably here, so credit file, credit history, credit report. Sometimes people refer to it as their bureau, their credit bureau. That's all referring to the same thing. And what that is, is all of the credit-related information that has been reported to that particular bureau about the individual. If you get a copy of your credit file, which you are entitled to do for free as many times as you would like, I always want to make sure that we highlight that because in the States, it's only once per year. And I see that misreported in Canada all the time. People think it's only once per year here in Canada as well, but it is unlimited. So if you are to look at your own credit file, what you would see is the identification information. So your name, address, social insurance number, date of birth. There might be some previous addresses on there. The next section is something that we are required to do by our regulations, and that is keep an access log of any time your credit file has been viewed. And that's what we call the inquiry section. So we call it an inquiry anytime a credit file gets accessed. There are two categories of inquiries. There are those that are associated with an application for credit. So examples would be if you're applying for a mortgage or you're applying for a new credit card. Those are applications for credit. Those are called hard inquiries. The other category are called soft inquiries, and those are any inquiries that aren't related to an application for new credit. So examples would be you yourself taking a look at your credit file. We still have to record it on the credit file that the file was accessed, even though it was accessed by the person whose credit file it is, that's still a requirement. So that gets recorded as a soft inquiry. And other examples of soft inquiries would be um, companies that you're already doing business with, maybe a bank that you already have an account with or credit card company. Sometimes they will do a run of checking on their customers' credit files. It's not because you've applied for credit. It might be for marketing purposes or managing their accounts in some way. That would also be considered a soft inquiry because you haven't applied for credit. One of the other differences between hard and soft is that soft inquiries are only visible to yourself as the owner of the credit file. When you apply for that mortgage and you give the consent for your credit file to be accessed, the copy of your credit file that is seen by the mortgage lender or mortgage broker will not show them the soft inquiries. It's only visible when you take a look at it yourself. And the other important difference is that soft inquiries will never affect a credit score calculation. Hard inquiries may impact credit score calculations. It's not a guarantee, but they can have an effect. And I'm sure we'll go into that in in a little more detail as we get further into the discussion about scores. So that's the 
inquiry section of the credit file. Then we've got what's called public records. And this is where any kind of, it's typically negative information from a person's credit past that would be there like collections. If you've had an account that went so late that you missed your payment for maybe a few months in a row, it could end up in a collection status or with a collections agency. If you've had a bankruptcy within the past six years, if it's a first-time bankruptcy, and any legal judgments which are related to your finances. So maybe if you've had unpaid taxes, for example, or unpaid child support payments uh, that have had a legal judgment involved, then that would show up in the public records section. And the last section, which is actually the one most of us think about when we think about credit files, is where all of the account information is. So this is if you had, say, let's say you've got four accounts. You've got one credit card, you've got a cell phone, you've got a mortgage, and you've got a car loan. So that's four different accounts. You're going to see four different uh, what we call trades on the credit file, one for each one of those accounts. The information there will be the current balance of the account. If it's a revolving account, like a credit card, it would explain what the credit limit is. If it's an installment loan, like a mortgage or a car loan, it would show what the maximum amount of the loan was. So the original amount of the loan, because of course, a credit limit doesn't apply to something like a mortgage or a car loan. And a little more information about whether you've missed payments and the date that that information is reported. So I know I've thrown a lot of detail at you there, but that's what a credit file looks like. And in answer to the second question about how often the information gets updated, most commonly it's on a monthly basis. So you would find that if you were looking at your credit file and, and tracking it over time, most of those accounts are getting updated about once a month. Not all at the same time though. So you might find that your credit card tends to come in on the 15th of the month and your mortgage gets reported on the 21st. It would be numbers that are uh, related to the cycle of your own particular accounts. Great. Well, that was a lot of information, but very useful information as well. And I mean, I'm sure people, when they look at their credit report or credit file or however they want to call it, the first time they are a bit intimidated. So do you have any advice to not feel intimidating when looking at your credit file? I mean, I my advice would be look at it section by section and just kind of try to make sure you understand some of the lingo like, R means revolving credit, I means installment. Once you kind of understand that and some of the terminology there, I find it a lot more easier to comprehend. Yeah, and it is a good point. They can be very intimidating to look at. And at, at Equifax, we are actually spending some effort trying to make our credit files easier to understand by the people who are looking at them. That's that's a really important aspect for us. So that's a great point about our referring to revolving. So what you're referring to there, just to make sure that all your listeners are following along, is that each account, each trade that you have. So in that example with the four accounts, 
each one of them would have what we call an account rating. And that's where you see a letter and number combination that indicates the status of the account. If it's paid and up to date, it might be that it's too new, that the account has been opened, but it hasn't been used yet. So there would be a different code for that. There would be a code indicating if the payment is more than 30 days late, less than 60, more than 60, less than 90, and so on. So the one that most people are familiar with is the letter R for revolving. And then the numbers start at zero for too new to rate. The one that you hope to see the most is one, which means paid as agreed. So that means your account is paid and up to date. Everything's good. The numbers go all the way to nine. So an R9 generally refers to debt that's been written off. So that's a pretty bad situation to find yourself in for an account. If it's an installment loan, like a mortgage, sometimes you see a mortgage as an I for installment. Sometimes you see it as an M for mortgage, but the numbers are the same as what I just described. So there you would see M1 to M9 or an I1 to I9. Great. Well, thanks so much for explaining that. And the credit bureau was, I guess, originally just written so that uh, lenders could understand it. But nowadays, consumers want to understand it. And I think that's great since when it comes to getting a mortgage, your income, down payment, the property itself, and your credit score comes into play. So I guess with Canadians and consumers like wanting to get a better understanding of it, I guess it wasn't really originally made for them, but it's great to hear that Equifax is making that more consumer friendly. It's such a good point, and that's exactly right, that when credit files and credit scores were originally designed, they were designed for risk managers at banks and lenders, and they they weren't shared with the people who were applying for the loans. And rightly or wrongly, that's what the historical (laughs) behavior was, that people didn't get to see their own credit files. And in my opinion, it's fantastic that that has changed over time. And there are now not only multiple ways to see the information on your credit file, but also to see your score and to get access to different score versions in different places. All of that is very positive momentum. The hard part is that there are so many complexities to this overall system that it's hard for people to understand, what am I even looking at here? How, how do I make sense of this? And so I think that we definitely have a lot of ground to cover to get everybody up to a, a comfort level where we should all be, because this is an important aspect of managing our own personal finances. So definitely headed in the right direction. Well, that's uh, great to hear. So you touched on this briefly in your last answer, but why don't we jump right into it? So what is the point of a credit score and how are credit scores calculated? So I'm just curious, are you going to spill the beans and let us know the secret formula of credit scores on the podcast right now? I am, but I'm afraid it's not nearly as exciting as you want to think. So yeah, spoiler alert. I don't have some amazing secret that I'm about to drop on you. But I do have some background that I hope will be helpful as people make their financial decisions and build their credit histories. 
So as many people know, a credit score is a three-digit number that falls between 300 and 900, and it's meant to be a one-time snapshot of the information that is in a person's credit file at the time the score is calculated. And the original idea was to give that risk manager at the bank or the lender something to work with without having to parse through an entire credit file and look for each account and, okay, are there any accounts that are late here and how much balance is owing on each one? The idea of a credit score was a calculation that would take a lot of those concerns into account and give a a quick access to that high-level information. So what is the point of a credit score? It actually is intended to predict the likelihood that somebody is going to pay their bills. That is technically what a credit score is. That is how that number is calculated. It's using a version of statistics called predictive analytics, where statistical analysis has been performed on millions of Canadians' credit files, which have been depersonalized, so nobody's personal information is getting shared. But there's a very rigorous analysis that takes place to say, what are the characteristics of a credit file that starts to miss payments compared to the characteristics of a credit file that doesn't start missing payments because that is what a lender wants to see. They want to get a sense of how likely are you to pay me back if I loan you this money. So high level, that's what the point of a credit score is. So now let's talk about how credit scores are actually calculated now that we've talked about what they actually are. As I mentioned, it's a statistical analysis based on the broad Canadian population and how people tend to behave. So people with similar characteristics on their credit file get grouped together for this statistical analysis that takes place and our statisticians look at what people who start to miss payments have in common, what people who have solid credit histories and continue to make payments on time, what those people have in common. And what you end up with is a set of attributes from credit files that gets used in the overall calculations. Now, there are a lot of things here that are really complicated for even people who understand a lot about statistics to follow along. So I don't want to oversimplify, but I need to simplify a bit in order to be able to explain how the pieces fit together. One thing is that even when you're talking about just one score version, you don't necessarily have two people who are whose score is being calculated using exactly the same algorithm. I'm going to give you a bit more of an example here. People who have, say, a shorter credit history with not a whole lot of information, so maybe they're relatively young and they're just starting out, or maybe they're new to Canada and so they're just getting their credit history started in Canada, Those people tend to have a different algorithm applied to the calculation of their credit scores compared to somebody who's got a longer, what we call a thicker credit file, which means there are a lot more accounts in the credit file. Funny side note, the term thicker actually applies to, came from when it was a bunch of paper sitting in a file folder. It was literally a thicker file because there were a lot of accounts. 
we're still talking about one scoring algorithm version, but the Canadian population gets divided into multiple segments based on the characteristics of their credit files. You could easily have two people who have the same score. So I'm going to use you and me as an example, Sean. So congratulations to us. I'm going to give us a pretty good credit score. Let's say that you and I both have a 750. And yeah, high five for that. So let's say that I happen to have had an item in collections in my credit history that was five years ago. So items in collections drop off a credit file after about six years. So it's getting older on my credit file. It's going to impact my scores less than it would when it, when it was just last year, but it is still going to impact my scores. So, and we'll say you've got a pristine credit file, which I'm sure you do. All your payments have been on time. You've got a lot of credit accounts. You've been managing credit really well for a long time. But we both have landed at a 750. Now we both go and do the same thing. So let's say we both see a new credit card that comes out in Canada. It offers good points and we both are interested in that. So we both go and apply for um, this new credit card. So even though we had our scores were calculated using slightly different algorithms because I fell into a different group than you did. You were in the group of a long, solid credit history. I'm in a group that has something like a, a collections in my account. So similar factors went into the score calculation, but the weight for each of those items might have been a little bit different. Still, we both landed with a 750 in this example. We now go both go and apply for this credit card, each of us is adding a new hard inquiry onto our credit files as a result of doing that. The next time that our scores get calculated, we might see that my score has gone down a little bit because that new hard inquiry is associated more with risk in the group that I'm in because I've got that older collections item on my credit file. And so hard inquiries might have a higher weight in the calculation that was used for me. But the next time your score was calculated, even though you also have a new hard inquiry, your score doesn't move because in your calculation, the hard inquiries have a lower weight. And so that extra one didn't end up moving the dial at all. These are real life type situations that happen. And this is why a lot of people are aware that hard inquiries can have an impact on credit scores. And I mentioned that earlier on. We often get questions like, how many points do I lose every time I apply for new credit? And the answer truly is, it depends. And the reason for that is that it really depends which version of the algorithm is being applied. In your case, based on the characteristics of your credit file at the time the score is being calculated. Now, I'm talking about one credit score version that is made up of multiple different algorithms there. Then you've got multiple credit score versions in market. So different banks and lenders are using different versions of credit scores to perform their calculations. So it becomes really hard 
to offer anything other than a high-level view of what the different factors are in the score calculations because it really can vary so much. So I'm going to give those high-level factors, and I'm sure that you and many of your listeners have come across these types of lists before. They're available in a lot of places, including on the Equifax website. These are what the factors are that have been statistically correlated with risk from a payments perspective. So the first one, it turns out that the most predictive factor of future behavior is past behavior. So the thing that matters the most in the calculation of a credit score is your payment history. Have you made your payments on time uh, most of the time in your credit history? So that one we say accounts for about 35% of the overall score calculation. The next one is what we call utilization, or sometimes people refer to this as used credit versus available credit. So this is the question of on a revolving credit account, like a credit card or a line of credit, what percentage are you currently using? So what is your balance relative to your limit? If you have a credit card that has a $2,000 limit on it and your balance is $1,000, then that would be a 50% utilization or you're using 50% of your credit limit there. So utilization accounts for about 30% of the score calculation. The next one is your credit history. So that has to do with how long your credit file has been open for, types of accounts that you have on your credit file and how recent uh, different accounts have been opened. And then lastly, we have what we call new credit. And this is where the hard inquiries can come into play. And they tend to only account for about 10% of the overall score calculation. So that concern around hard inquiries that people have is a bit disproportionate to how much of an effect they tend to have on scores. But anyway, I'm just going to recap what those major headings are, again, of the factors that go into score calculations, payment history, utilization on revolving accounts, the length of your credit history, the mix of credit accounts, and then finally, new credit or the hard inquiries. I'll give you a pause here because I know I'm just spewing forth all kinds of information in your direction. Well, that was very useful information, so spew away. <laughs> but I just wanted to touch on a couple of points that you had made. So in terms of utilization, I've heard some general rules. For example, I've heard some places like you should aim to keep your utilization below 50%. Other times, I've heard that you should keep it below 35% before it starts to negatively affect your credit score. So perhaps you could just share your perspective on that and whether there's some sort of rule of thumb about what is good to keep your utilization below in terms of a percentage of your available credit. I can honestly say that I have not encountered perfect number yet in my travels and looking at people's credit files and credit scores and, and trying to get a sense of what went into an overall credit score calculation. So I, I don't have a magic number of like, here's what it is. If it's always below this percentage, then you're golden. But I would reiterate what 
people see, I'm sure, all over the place as generally good advice, which is just from the perspective of managing your personal finances, it is better to keep a lower balance on your accounts because that's easier to manage. So as you get higher to your credit limit, statistically, that's why it can become concerning because there is a correlation between high utilization, meaning being very close to your credit limit, and then starting to miss payments. So that's where that comes from. So the general advice is just keep your utilization lower if you can. It should be helping out your credit scores in the long run. Great. Thanks so much for answering that. And I'm just curious, I've heard from uh, watching the CBC Marketplace special and other times that I guess lenders use a different version of the credit score rather than the ones that might be available to consumers. So could you perhaps just shed some light on that and how concerned should average like people be with what their exact credit score is? I mean, my perspective is as long as you're responsible with credit and use it to, in, in a responsible manner, like keeping your utilization ratio low, as well as making your payments on time, then I don't think you should be overly concerned with the score, but I'd be interested to hear your perspective on that. I'm so glad that you raised that because there is so much misinformation out there. So let's start with the fact of multiple scores. So I think I touched on it earlier that different banks and lenders use different score versions. So if you walk into a bank branch on a street corner and let's say you want to get a sense of how much mortgage you would qualify for. So you apply for a mortgage there, they get your consent and access your credit file, get a credit score. They likely won't share that score with you, but the number that they see on the screen is probably different from the number the bank across the street is going to see if you go and do the same thing across the street to see what kind of mortgage terms they're going to give you. That isn't new. That is how this situation has always been. There is an increased awareness of that because people are starting to get access to credit scores in a number of different um, places. So like when what I mean by that is different websites that are available for people to check credit scores. So let's talk about the second part of your question about are the credit scores that people can access the same ones that lenders are using? I can only speak for the credit scores at Equifax because those are the ones that, that I'm personally familiar with. But I can tell you that Although there are different versions available of credit scores from Equifax, so if you buy one from the Equifax website, you're going to see a different score version than if you get one for free from one of our partners like Amogo or Borowell, for example. Both of those score versions are being used by lenders today in market. So there is no version of an Equifax score that a consumer can access that isn't being used by a lender somewhere in the Canadian market. For legal reasons, we have to say on the screens where you see the description of the score, it'll say something like, this is being presented to you for educational purposes. And there will be a notice that says different lenders may use different scores, et cetera. But I can tell you that all the scores that we make available to clients today are, or to consumers rather, are being used by clients for lending decisions. 
to the next part of your question, which I really liked, which was like, how concerned should people be about credit scores? And I like this question because there is a possibility that the score you're looking at is not the one that a lender is using. And so you're left feeling like, well, what do I do with that then? (laughs) How do I know how this lender is going to see me? There are a couple of important things to be aware of. One is that lenders very rarely, if ever, use only a score to make a decision on someone, especially when it comes to mortgages. There are so many other factors that are involved in their lending decision that often scores are are just one of many things going into that equation. So um, a lot of them would be familiar, like they want to know your income, they want to know your employment status, they want to have an idea of what holdings you have. So things like bank account balances and investments and do you own property, none of those pieces of information are on your credit report. So the lender can't get everything that they need to know about an applicant from a credit score alone. So that's one important thing to know. And the other thing I would say about concern around what if the score version I'm looking at isn't the one that my lender is actually using, the important thing is to know what's on your credit file. That's so important for a few reasons. One is you want to make sure there's no errors or fraud that have that has taken place so you want to make sure you recognize all of the accounts that you see on your credit file and make sure they're definitely yours and the second thing is that's what'll tell you whether there's something for of concern if you have a missed payment on there that is going to affect the credit score calculation and that's what you should be aware of. So it can be helpful to use one of the educational scores to get a sense of how that particular algorithm is, what the number is that that it's coming up for you. But really the important thing is keeping an eye on your credit file so you know that's the information that's going into the score calculation regardless of what actual algorithm is being used. Great. Thanks so much for clarifying that, Julie. In terms of credit scores, How are credit scores affected by shopping around for a mortgage? Because I've heard from some sources that when you shop for a mortgage, perhaps it's all lumped together as one credit inquiry. Other times I've heard that it counts as a hard hit every single time. So perhaps you could shed some light on that, Julie. Yes, this is a great question and another one that is a simple question with a not so simple answer. So The reason that you hear answers that vary is because of the fact of multiple scores. Different score versions have slightly different rules around this. As new score versions come out over time, they are more reflective of actual consumer behavior. And so they make wider and wider windows of what they call deduplicating car financing and mortgage related shopping around because those are the two areas where if somebody has a high number of hard hits related to mortgage inquiries, 
it's very unlikely that that's because they're going to buy several properties. And the same thing is true of cars, that within the period of two weeks, if you have a high number of hard inquiries, you're not likely going out to buy six cars, for example. The more recent score versions have a period of 45 days of deduplication where any number of mortgage-related inquiries and then separately car financing related inquiries, they will get grouped together as one shopping event. Some of the older score versions, which are still in use by different banks and lenders, have a smaller window of deduplication. Uh, Some of them are 15 days, uh, I think is the smallest one that I've seen. So that's your window for that deduplication. Each inquiry is getting recorded on your credit file regardless. So it's not about whether or not it gets recorded on your file. By law, as I mentioned earlier, it has to be recorded on your file that you applied for credit. Where the deduplication is taking place is in the calculation of the credit score itself. Perfect. Thanks for explaining that. And finally, could you share some of the your best tips and strategies for achieving and maintaining a good credit score in the context of getting a mortgage. So let's just kind of lay out a scenario. Let's say somebody's buying their first property or their mortgage is coming up for renewal and they want to be able to get the very best interest rate on the market. So what are some things that they can do to improve their credit score, some of the behaviors otherwise, so that they can, you know, the credit score component of the application is on the stronger side and they have a good or excellent credit score? Well, I'm going to start with something that actually you and I have discussed before, Sean, which is that it's so important to check your credit file in advance of when you anticipate making that purchase or uh, renewing your mortgage. And even like six months in advance, because if you find something that is maybe an error or something that hasn't been updated properly by your bank on your credit file, you want to find that out before you're sitting in your mortgage broker's office or your lender's office trying to sign paperwork with them saying, wait a minute, something doesn't look right here. You want to find that out when you've got the time to go through the process to get something corrected on your credit file. So that is so important is get a copy of your credit file, which you can do for free and make sure everything looks right. So that's number one. The second important thing, and this really is, this is behind the curtain of the credit scores. We talked about the point of a credit score, which is to predict the likelihood that you're going to pay your bills. So what is the big secret to having a good credit score? It's not nearly as sexy as people want it to be, but it is paying your bills on time. That is what the score is trying to predict, whether or not you will do that. So if you pay your bills on time consistently, even if if you're going through a bit of a rough patch and you can only make minimum payments on something like a line of credit or a credit card for a while, that is still keeping up your end of the bargain. That's what you agreed to do when you signed on with that account. So even if that's all you can do, keep up that positive payment history. That's the best thing that you can do to achieve and then maintain a good credit score. That's great that you mentioned that because I often hear from individuals that they run into tough times, there's a financial emergency, and then they miss a few payments. But with credit cards, I mean, the minimum payment is so low. So even if you're going through a bit of a difficult situation, 
if you're just able to keep up that minimum payment, I definitely think it will do wonders for your credit score rather than missing like three or four payments in a row. It can make a huge difference. That's right. Great. Well, those were very good practical tips that I think the listeners can take away and hopefully improve their credit score. So Julie, I just wanted to say it's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, just a couple of places that people can go if they need a little more information. So we do have an educational hub on our website at equifax.ca. There is information there about credit scores, credit files, details about identity theft and steps that you can take to protect your identity. There are some credit monitoring products that are available on equifax.ca as well. If you're interested in following me personally, I have a Twitter account at Julie underscore Kuzmik, that's K-U-Z-M-I-C, where I try to share some interesting things I come across related to credit and personal finance in general. And then I'll just leave this one thought, which I think is such an important reminder that credit scores are not a moral judgment or a character judgment of an individual. So if you're working hard to bring that score up, well done, hang in there. It's okay. If you've got a great score and you're really obsessing about a few more points, maybe don't. You can probably find something a little more important and and worthwhile for, for that energy. So remember that it's just one of many tools available to you in your financial journey. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.